Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rice, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore the dual nature of the Welsh hobgoblin, what I like to think of as the Welsh poltergeist fairy, a creature called the Boobach, which, on the one hand, was a very nice, helpful, happy household fairy, but on the other hand, it could quickly transform into a terrifying phantom. So terrifying that it scared people away from their homes and villages, and in some cases even attacked them and drove them to an early grave. And we will look at some examples on this episode that relate to both sides of their nature, the two extremes, as it were, the helpful fairy who could do chores for you and this terrifying creature who could do, well, I don't want to spoil any surprises, but you will find out just how terrifying it can be very soon. Now, to begin at the beginning, and in this case, that is the late 1800s, this is the latest episode to take a look at some of the research conducted by the American folklorist Wirt Sykes, who divided the fairy folk of Wales, or Tulloith Tig, into five categories. They were, number one, the Athlathon, or the Elves. Number two, the Coblunai, or Mine Fairies. Number three, the Bubachod, the Hobgoblins, the Household Fairies. Number four, the Gragith Anun, or Fairies of the Lakes and Streams. And number five, the Gwithion, or Mountain Fairies. And on this episode, we are going to focus on number three of those five. Number three, the Bubachod, or the Household Fairies. And just in case you're wondering how I'm spelling that, it is B W B A. C-H, or ch in Welsh, O-D. B-W-B-A-C-H-O-D. And a single boobachod, just the one of these fairies, is called a boobach. Which might sound like a nice, cute name for a fairy, but trust me, it is not. Now, Sykes tells us that the boobachod were hairy little creatures which attached themselves to families and households, and as such were very much domestic creatures. These were not the fairies down in the mines or in the rivers or up on the mountains. They were very much indoors with the families. And this is where the connection with poltergeist activity comes from. I mentioned at the start, I'd like to think of them as poltergeist fairies, because poltergeist activity in years to come would be very similar to what these creatures got up to inside people's homes when they were feeling a little bit mischievous. Which wasn't all the time, as mentioned, they could be useful members of the household, they could help with chores and things, but at the same time you had to be very careful because they could get up to some dangerous practices, and if you got on the wrong side of them, it could in some cases, be fatal. Now, this idea of a fairy with a dual nature 
isn't unique to Wales in any way. It can be found in the English bogey, in the French goblin, and in the creature the boobach most closely resembles, and I've already referred to it as, and that's the hobgoblin. And the most famous example of a hobgoblin that I can think of that a lot of people will be familiar with is Puck from William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. And Sykes does tell us that, apparently, the word hobgoblin itself is derived from the Welsh language. And while I'm not sure how correct he is, but it's a nice theory, and he tells us that the Welsh word hob, the first part of hobgoblin, means to hop, and the Welsh word coblin means goblin, which it does, and by putting them together, we get a hopping goblin and the word hobgoblin, which, you know, it's a, it's a lovely image to conjure in your mind, a goblin hopping all about the place. But sadly, it could simply mean the goblin of the hob, which does make sense because it is a household fairy, not that well known for its hopping, I don't think. And also in the Welsh language, the word boobach, it has been suggested, could be a combination of the word bach, which means small, and the word boo, B-W, the sound a ghost makes when it tries to scare somebody, just like in the English language combined, could mean little scare, a little boo bach, like a, like a timid little ghost maybe. And what I do think is interesting about the word boobach is that while traditionally it did mean a kind of fairy, a kind of tig, but since about the 19th century, it is now more commonly used as a word for a ghost, a bit like saying spook. So it's not just the phenomena that was once associated with the fairies, which is now blamed on spirits of the dead. But the word itself has shifted, and I find that fascinating. But anyway, that's enough of the language stuff. Let us now crack on with the scary stories. And in our first one, we will take a look at how a good-natured boobach helps and not hinders the Welsh maid. And Sykes tells us that after the maid has finished her long day of chores by sweeping up the kitchen and making a good fire, her last task of the day before retiring for the night is to put the churn filled with cream on the whitened hearth and to put a basin of fresh cream on the hob, there's the word hob again, but a basin of fresh cream on the hob, which is a gift, an offering, if you will, to the boobach, who she thinks will visit in the night. And in return for this gift, she hopes that the fairy will transform the contents of the churn into butter. So it's a bit of a bartering system. There's my work. Please help me out. Here's some fresh cream as payment. And so... She goes to bed to await the event, and to quote Sykes, in the morning she finds, if she is in luck, that the boobach has emptied the basin of cream and plied the churn dasher so well 
that the maid has but to give a thump or two to bring the butter in a great lump. So that all sounds pretty straightforward. The good side of the boobark, just leave a gift, leave your task nearby, and then the next morning when you wake up, if you're lucky, the task will be done, the churn will be full of butter, ready and waiting. But what about this bad side of the boobark, the evil, dangerous side of this hobgoblin, the poltergeist activity? Well, like the Ethith, the elves, one of Sykes' five varieties of fairy, and which we looked at back on episode 43. But like the Ethith, the Boobach, we are told, does not approve of dissenters and their ways. And especially strong is its aversion to total abstainers. Now, I'll explain this quickly, and I've mentioned before on this podcast how important Christianity is to the folklore of Wales. Well, not, not, not just the folklore, to the culture of Wales, to the identity of the Welsh people. From this idea of Wales as a land of song, singing songs of praise, singing hymns, right down to the fairy tales, right down to the fairy folk, to the boobach. But being a Christian wasn't as straightforward as just saying, yes, I'm a Christian, or no, I'm not a Christian. There were many denominations to choose from, and depending on which one you chose, depended on whether or not the boobach was going to help you or not, because it would seem they were not happy with those straying from the faith. They were not happy with the non-conformists, and even worse, if you were an atheist, remember they are especially strong in their aversion to total abstainers, well, you'd better watch your back. Because Sykes tells us that, in some cases, to get into its clutches, to get into the boobach's clutches under certain circumstances, is no trifling matter for it has the power of whisking people off through the air. And regular listeners will know this is something else I spoke about recently on episode 65. But centuries ago, when people reported being carried through the air by some supernatural force, when they were walking somewhere, they were picked up, whisked away, and dropped off somewhere else, centuries ago, they might blame the fairy folk. And then, many years later, when belief in fairies died out, they started blaming ghosts instead. Well, Sykes has his own theory on this. It might be my favourite theory of all as to how people get whisked from one place to another. And he suggests that rather than it being fairies, rather than it being ghosts, it was, in fact, both of them. It was teamwork. It was a tag team. A fairy and a ghost tag team. And his reasoning behind this, why they would team up in such a way, is that he believes if a ghost is a restless spirit that can't move on, that can't rest in peace until some task has been completed, like to dig up some long-lost treasure in a faraway town, then it needs 
a human to help them complete this task. But because a ghost is a big, ethereal, floaty thing that can't hold a spade and dig things up, never mind a human, how can it carry them through the air? Well, the answer is, it can't, but it can employ somebody else, some other supernatural creature, to do the hard work for them. And in this case, the ghosts employ the boobach to transport the mortal through the air. Now, how exactly they employ them, I don't know. He doesn't expand on this. I would love to hear the conversation between the two. Maybe, maybe the ghost bribes the boobach with a nice bowl of cream or something. I don't know. But I do know it's a lovely theory. Now, moving on to our next tale. This is an extra creepy tale in which we encounter a less than friendly boobach who belonged to a certain estate. And by belonged, as mentioned, these creatures are very much attached to certain properties or certain families. He was a part of this estate. Sadly, we're not given the name of the estate, but we do know it was in Cardiganshire, the historical county of Cardiganshire on the far west of Wales. So somewhere in modern-day Ceredigion. And it was there one day that the resident Bubach took great umbrage at a Baptist preacher who was a guest in the house and who was much fonder of prayers than a good ale. Now, the Bubach had a weakness in favour of people who sat around the hearth with their mugs of Kurudar good beer and their pipes, and it took to pestering the preacher. So the Bubach has taken umbrage with the preacher effectively for being a bit boring. The Bubach liked people who visited, had a drink and a smoke around the fire, not dull people who just sat around praying all night. As mentioned, this is where the, the different kinds of Christianity seep into it. And so one night it jerked the stool from under the good man's elbow as he knelt, pouring forth prayer so that he fell down flat on his face. That'll teach him he was pouring forth prayers when really the Bubach wanted him to be pouring forth Kurudar, to be pouring forth beer. Now, another time, it interrupted the devotions by jangling the fire irons on the hearth and it was continually making the dogs fall howling during prayers or frightening the farm boy by grinning at him through the window or throwing the maid into fits. So again, we are seeing some of this poltergeist-like activity, making noise and jangling things invisibly. And it wasn't only targeting the preacher himself, but the entire household during these long praying sessions, what they saw as long, boring praying sessions, the dogs were made to howl, the farm boy and the maid were being scared stiff, and it escalated to the point where, at last, it had the audacity to attack the preacher as he was crossing a field. 
And I don't know if he was leaving the house or approaching the house on this field, but it reached the point where the Bubach left its home and attacked him outdoors, even though there was no prayer session taking place at the time. And speaking about the event afterwards, the preacher, in his own words, said that I was reading busily in my hymn book as I walked on, ever devout he was reading as he was walking, he was reading his hymn book when a sudden fear came over me and my legs began to tremble. A shadow crept me from behind and when I turned around it was myself, my person, my dress and even my hymn book. I looked in its face a moment and then fell insensible to the ground. So, to recap that quickly, the preacher was happily reading his hymns when he felt a sudden sense of dread fall over him, and turning around, he came face to face with a mirror image of himself. Had the Bubach taken on the form of a preacher? Does it have the powers of, of a doppelganger to look exactly like its victim? Well, it all happened so quickly, the preacher didn't really have time to think about it. He fell to the ground insensible, and that's exactly how he was found afterwards, an insensible wreck. The encounter proved too much for the good man, who considered it a warning to him to leave these parts. He accordingly mounted his horse the next day and rode away. So the Bubach, it would seem, had won. They had pushed the preacher so far that after the final straw, after coming face to face with himself, with this feeling of dread, he decided to pack his bags and to leave Cardiganshire before he was driven mad or attacked once more, or who knows, maybe even both. But it doesn't quite end there. As mentioned, this is something of an extra creepy tale. And there's one final part of this tale, which comes from a boy from the neighbourhood. And Sykes tells us that his veracity, like that of all boys, was unimpeachable. So we can trust this boy, Sykes tells us. And afterwards, he said that he saw the Bubach as the preacher was leaving, jump up behind the preacher onto the horse's back. So while the preacher left the country, while he fled on the back of his horse to escape his tormentor, it would appear that the Bubach merely hitched a ride and would be joining the preacher in his new abode. And with that, the horse certainly knew, because it sped off like lightning, with eyes like balls of fire, and the preacher looking back over his shoulder at the boobach that grinned from year to year. And so ends that creepy tale of the preacher and the boobach, and so ends another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. 
If you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button. And if you really enjoyed it and you'd like to support it, you can now buy me a coffee via the website. And I do love coffee. Or you could just give it a quick, nice review or a thumbs up or five stars or whatever it is on the platform you are consuming this on. If you'd like more Ghosts and Folklore, as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects, including Ghosts of Wales accounts from the Victorian archives and the most recent one, Paranormal Wales, which are perfect in the build-up to Halloween. And for free Ghosts and Folklore stuff, you can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram. And if you do, be sure to leave a comment because it's always lovely when people say hello. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian am Rando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, no star. <laughs>